Hi, folks. Stick around towards the end of the episode for my interview with directors Aaron Selgablu and Ari Costa about their new horror film, All Fun and Games. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman, who might have COVID, as I found out uh, just moments ago. And with me on the other line, who probably, uh, hopefully, maybe doesn't have COVID, it's Daniel Feingold. Daniel, how are you feeling? I guess it's dependent on how you're feeling in three to five days. Uh, yeah. Whenever the, whatever this, whenever this pod drops, hopefully you'll, you'll still be without COVID. Yeah. Uh, I hope so too. I could, I could see the like look of terror on your face as I told you that, uh, because you and I hung out last night and I literally got like seconds ago, got a call saying like, Hey, you've been exposed to someone who had COVID. Um, so that might be, I mean, I don't think it's a HIPAA violation. I didn't name the person, but you know, that's that is let's the just, mood that uh, we're we're setting into this pod with. Let's see where that takes us. Yes. Uh Daniel, speaking of bad news, uh we're still in the dog days of summer. Um August, one of my least favorite months to go to the movies. And um you know this is kind of just a a grab bag episode with you and I both saw a movie together. I saw a couple other things that recently came out. Um, I think the thing that we both saw together was kind of okay, and I saw two other movies that I I really couldn't care less about. Um, where where shall we begin this this journey of ours? I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that the movies that I've been watching um, are going back in time. I'm catching up on older movies because that really that's the state that we're in at this point, which is not particularly unusual certainly things have been moved back but the slate is what it is at this point i say we just start with gran turismo sure but now i kind of want to know like what what are these great older movies that you've been oh i did or 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 watching for the first time why i did i did uh tell you that i i enjoyed the ice storm oh yeah quiet 90s movie that nobody saw at the time but i presume aired a lot on television after its theatrical run mm-hmm. and uh man on fire i had actually never seen and that's just really Denzel. just uh yeah i really never understood the even even when i was younger and and didn't uh didn't end up seeing it when it hit theaters, I was surprised. I remember at the time that being like a big, like Rotten Tomatoes era of like, mm. that's you would go to Rotten Tomatoes or you were aware of the Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, and I think it was a 2006 release. It maybe Rotten Tomatoes didn't come out until like 2012, and I'm totally lying. It's, and making it's that up. in that range of like that site first becoming popular yeah, with that I feel nine, like is in that yeah. like oh four to oh six range is when I first IMDb. started hearing about it. Yeah. Um yeah it didn't really get great reviews and uh I I just you know I still have not seen something that Denzel has disappointed in. Um it just he's he still somehow even though he's like top three movie star of the last several decades 30 years yeah i still i still think he's dramatically underrated like i don't think we appreciate him enough there's there's probably no one out there who is more consistently good than denzel washington of like even when the movie around him is total horseshit like he's still bringing his a game like i've seen some awful denzel like like what was that one with um him and Rami Malek from like a couple of years ago where Jared Leto things. was this year. Yeah, like terrible movie, but you know who's bringing their A game? Denzel. Like Denzel's going to show up for work every time. Yeah, so like Man on Fire, the movie itself, I felt like, uh, I mean, Tony Scott, excellent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. 
that said, I felt like, you know, you know, like in, uh, in the second Daniel Craig Bond movie, mm-hmm. it's edited as if someone just did like a bunch of blow. Yeah. But like, it's especially, uh, Quantum Solace, especially bad in like the car chase scene to start where you have like no mm-hmm. idea where, like it's very disorienting. You have no idea what's going on and where you are in the actual scene. That felt like the entire editing of Man on Fire, which I know is like a choice. Um, yeah. But very disorienting uh, to, to a point of like being distracting. That said, Denzel, Dakota Fanning, amazing. Excited to see them paired up again in Equalizer 3. The reunion, I don't think anyone was expecting. And no, and like part of me in the back of my head kind of wishes Equalizer 3, which I have not, neither of us have seen yet, is anywhere close to as crazy as man on fire is i it's it's interesting you brought that up because i rewatched it uh a few months ago and had not seen it since i was like a teenager probably um and really like forgot how insane a lot of the like aesthetic flourishes like it really is like tony scott in his like you know, I'm switching up different like filters or not filters, like different film stocks. And like, I'm editing this thing within like a mile a minute. And like, it's so disorienting as you watch it. And like the movie is kind of incomprehensible at times. Like what's just what's going on within a scene, but also there's something like, there's something so interesting about how just like, dirty and gross and also how like almost abstract the movie is into like how crazy some of the editing is and like the different like weird camera movements that he's doing like i i would love to see as much as i think the movie is like extremely hard to follow and or it's just sort of like outright disorienting and just looks like nonsense happening on screen sometimes and some of the action sequences um like I do kind of have that. I I would almost like love to see something like that outrageously crazy. That is just like a, a a late August action movie. If that makes any sense. It's at the end of the day, Denzel shooting rocket launchers from like an old couple's apartment without like, while like also theorizing about like playing God and then blowing he sticks a bomb up, up a guy's butt in that movie. Yeah, blowing <laughs> blowing people up via via anus bombs. I mean, it's just it's just tremendous work and uh, sneak sneaky good Christopher Walken performance before I think before yeah. he became before I think directors or casting directors sought him out to almost like play a parody of himself. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 still very Christopher Walkeny, but it's not like it's not like meta of like oh it's christopher walken yeah. playing christopher walken um anyway. i think like it's around the same time as like what's that that fat boy slim uh music video that spike jones directed that's like him dancing and like flying around the hotel i feel like it's kind of around the same time Probably as that yeah. um yeah we just, don't make, I, we just don't make movies like we used to anymore no i mean i would gosh i would love for like someone to just go for it like tony scott would go for it um i've i've been catching up on some some really good stuff myself i was uh telling you about um i watched this french movie the other night called army of shadows that i'd never seen before that is about like french resistance fighters um during like nazi occupied france during world war ii um and if you're like really into like jean le carré spy uh novels like i i would highly recommend this it's it i don't i don't want to say the thing i'm saying because it sounds so like artistically uh simple-minded but i kind of kept thinking about like the whole aesthetic of the movie which i was so obsessed with and like i would almost convince a like normal day-to-day cinephile who hadn't seen this of like imagine meshing together like the aesthetics of like wes anderson and david fincher and like that's kind of what you get with this movie of like the it's all on like sets but and they're so like immaculately designed and like the uh just the the 
use of color in the movie is so specific, but all the colors are like very muted. It's like, you know, all of these grays and like dark navy blues and blacks and like everyone's covered in shadows the entire time. Um, And it really is just sort of like this group of resistance fighters sort of like being captured by the Nazis, breaking out, trying to figure out who set them up, finding those people, getting rid of them, situations where it's like so-and-so's daughter has been kidnapped and is being held by the Nazis, so we have to kill her because we know she'll flip if like she finds out her daughter is kidnapped and is like really creating this like murky moral gray that all these characters live in that's really like unromanticized, but I, I found like exhilarating to watch. Um and then last night I caught up with uh the Federico Fellini movie Amacord from the 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 70s which I'd never seen before which is kind of like his sort of like big farcical coming of age comedy that's like him taking all of these like memories he had of like where he grew up and sort of turning it into this like big ensemble sex comedy that is also about fascism and is like really moving and like insanely funny and is just like the the kind of you know exhilarating movie experience that's just like so full of life in every moment um so yeah it's a good time of year to be catching up with stuff um let's talk about grand turismo which i think is the movie coming out at the end of the month that you and i are maybe the most positive on which is to maybe say like i kind of liked it even though i don't think it is like that good it's like based off this true story of um this teenage kid who was very good at playing the PlayStation game Gran Turismo and this sort of like competition that was held to like turn uh the sort of best players at Gran Turismo in the world into like actual race car drivers and he won that competition and like raced professionally on like the you know Le Mans track and all these other like famous tracks across the world um and it's directed by neil blomkamp who i think is someone fascinating for us to talk about and uh the person who plays the the sort of lead actor is uh kind of unknown i'd never seen him before but you also have people like orlando bloom and david harbour from stranger things in supporting roles um daniel what did what did you think of this movie that um you and i actually saw like two weeks ago because it was supposed to come out earlier in the month and then it got delayed until like the last week in august so we're we're going to be like a little bit late on the game, but now we're going to be a little bit early on the game of talking about it. But what, what did you think of the experience? I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I would go so far as to say, and this is really not going far, but um, I, I know people are maybe a little bit more uh, up on Neil Blomkamp's perhaps earlier work, but I would say this is actually his best movie since District 9. I would agree while also saying that isn't saying much. <laughs> I loved I love District 9. Um I I like it too. I I think like, you know, what when I was going to say like Neil Blomkamp is someone interesting to talk about of like I feel like you and I share the sentiment of when District 9 came out, it was like, "Oh man, we got one." Like that was such a like surprise hit this R-rated science fiction movie that like also was this political allegory and got nominated for all of these Oscars and was a hit. And it felt like, okay, we've, we've got like our next, like James Cameron or someone or, or our next, like John Carpenter, or like our next, like great genre filmmaker. This felt like someone who's going to be making like sci-fi classics for the next like 20 years. And, um, that didn't quite pan out. What do you think of his other movies? I, th- I feel like we've had this conversation, but I can't remember like what your thoughts are on the other ones. I mean, Elysium, I remember at the time being not an event movie, but something that people were excited before, excited for because you had Neil Blomkamp coming off of di- the District 9 hype with Matt Damon, with Jodie right. Foster and another big sci-fi movie. Um, I think... I was underwhelmed, whereas I remember the reaction at the time being like, oh, really, you know, I really enjoyed that. I always just, there was something off about it to me that just didn't quite click. Um, 
and a lot of it, I think, is Jodie Foster's performance. Like, if you want, she's just, bad in like, that just, movie. Like, just, just, just cast Tilda Swinton. Like, just if you're if you're asking her to do like a Tilda Swinton type performance, like just just cast Tilda Swinton. No disrespect, to Jodie Foster, she's amazing. But that's, that was that's a, an incredible just, piece of of recasting right there on your part. Thank you. Um, it just it just it just didn't work. Um, I I will never could never say anything bad about Chappie because I like the robot. That doesn't mean it's a good movie. Um, and I did not see his most recent movie that I believe came out like height of the pandemic and yeah. quietly came and went uh, to very poor reviews. So this feels very much, and I, I think I mentioned this after we saw it, that this feels like he is in almost like a director for hire phase, kind of like M. Night Shyamalan at a certain point where it's just like, let me, let me get in and do this story you know, this is not something that he wrote or developed. Like, this is not, you know, this is the first time, which I believe is the first time um, since at least District 9, where he's just kind of taking a story and running with it. And it, I think it's very well directed. I think it's very well made. It is very paint by numbers. And ultimately, um, the, the storytelling is fairly obvious. Um but that doesn't make it any like less winning or enjoyable. Um, and I believe I think I think it's the best possible telling of a story that I'm not sure needed to be told. Yeah, it's so I'll kind of I'll kind of respond with with three things, I guess. I, I agree with you with like maybe He's best in kind of a director for hire mode. Although I think he wrote District 9 too. But of like, you know, I I think everyone was expecting him to be this kind of like next great auteur after that. And like Elysium, I'm with you. I think it it the the a lot of hype leading into it and like I feel like okay reception looking back on that movie and like rewatching bits of it on TV over the years. That movie's terrible. And, like, I think we were all just sort of like, all right, that didn't quite live up. But, like, you know, I guess it looked good. But, like, you go back and, like, rewatch any of that movie. That movie's really bad. Chappie, really bad. I feel like that's when people start to turn on him. Then there was, like, that period of time when, like, he maybe was going to make an alien movie that was, like, none of the alien movies count except for the first two. And I'm going to, like, keep, I'm going to rewrite sort of the the legacy of that series um and thankfully that didn't happen um halo yeah he was gonna do although i think that's what kind of like district nine bled out of is like he was gonna do halo or was gonna be involved in that in some point and then when that kind of fell apart sort of a lot of those resources ended up going towards like bringing district nine to the the big screen um and then he like did a bunch of short films that went online and then you know uh I cannot demonic. I want to say is the name of it. It's his so, yeah. his his movie that came out basically during the pandemic, which I saw out of just like pandemic boredom, um, because I think it was like a VOD release and is like close to unwatchable. Is like really like horrifically bad. Um, so he's been someone I've kind of like soured on over the the last decade or so. Um. But I think even still, even if you watch something like Elysium or Chappie, like there's still someone who is like a great technical filmmaker and like knows how to make effects like really. That was the thing that was sort of exciting about his sci-fi movies is he could apply like a real sort of tangible realness to the worlds he was creating. Um, And I think that sort of benefits this movie which I, I would agree with you, I think is a bad script of a kind of interesting story of like, but, you know, we'll get into some of the sort of issues with bringing this story to the big screen. Um, but I, I would say a pretty bad script that's sort of like directed with a lot of energy and intensity by Neil Blomkamp that like, when it when it is in its sort of action set pieces, its racing sequences is really thrilling and I think really well made and sort of makes you feel sort of the 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 
the visceral intensity of like being in one of these like fast moving race cars. Um, when it is not that, it is kind of like very, very paint by numbers, uh, like sports movie, uh, you know, very paint by numbers sports movie cliches. We were making the joke of there's, uh, uh, you know, several scenes that are basically like the main character kind of yelling at his dad, be like, you don't understand, dad. I love racing. Um, and then there's the whole kind of like weird product placement aspect to this movie where, you know, one of the weird things about adapting this story is it sort of then turns into this two hour advertisement for both PlayStation and it who have the Gran Turismo game as well as Nissan, who sort of, you know, became the company that sort of uh, helped in- initiate this uh, competition to, like, turn gamers into race car drivers. And so, like, we kind of walked out, and I, like, looked at you and, like, another person who is with us and was like, man, PlayStation and Nissan are so cool. I can't believe we get to live in a world with two hip companies just like that, that are making dreams come true. And there is an aspect of like, as well made as the movie is, I think one of the issues in its screenplay is it is kind of like a big sort of pat on the back self advertisement for Sony and PlayStation and the Nissan corporation at the same time. (laughs) My, reaction was texting a friend who um is really big into street fighter right now and saying i just saw a movie where a guy who played a racing video game went on to become a legitimate racer you i believe that you could now fight people on the street you could like or you could do mma and i believe in you like that's what it takes. So no, um, I I want to see the version of this movie that's like the person who spends hours playing like Farmville, and then like <laughs> the U.S. Department of Agriculture is like, here, you let's see how you do. You gotta like get America's crop input going up. You're our only hope. That's the movie I want to see. Grand Theft Auto. We need more carjackings. Make it happen. <laughs> Please do cheat codes and like drive tanks around the streets. Um. I actually, I, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's uh, complimentary of the screenplay, more so perhaps the uh, the performances, particularly David Harbour. I thought, I, I thought he's the, quite the good screenplay in the movie. Was, I thought, the, I thought the screenplay was inoffensive. It was not, I, which I, I think it could have, it could have been severely worse. Um, so there yeah. wasn't anything that particularly like stood out of like. You know, they're all the beats that are very, like, obvious and kind of the, the paint-by-numbers that we've been talking about. But there wasn't anything that, like, I was actually, like, groaning at. Um, and David Harbour no. is, like, is like putting this on his back. And I believe he, he – is my understanding he is not playing any real person. He may be, like, a composite character. But he is fully bringing this guy to life more than just, like, oh, it's David Harbour – and certainly you're like rooting for him a little bit more because it's David Harbour and who doesn't love David Harbour. But mm-hmm. the character that he is playing, I think, is really winning and very charming. And you, you get you you get this connection that's like you you're rooting for these people to win. Even though like the movie doesn't necessarily like earn that from us. It's like there's yeah, still, there's still something agree. there. Yeah. yeah. And, and to your point about like the – the action scene, the, the the driving sequences are actually, I think, very well done. Um, yeah, we were talking about you know like the the visuals of bringing a game or a, a driving simulator to life. I think Blomkamp does a very good job with some of the the visuals of how how he portrays it and how he connects the the main character, like the drivers, to the game of like seeing seeing them in the game while they're actually on a racetrack, on a real racetrack yeah. in a real car, and simulating that for us. And it reminded me of our discussion on, was it 28 Hours? Was that what it was called? The the um, the um movie last year of the, the cave. Is that the cave diver version? movie? Yeah, where it's like, yeah. we're like, it was, it was showing us, um, you know, kind of the depths of the cave or like where they were, where the rescuers were yeah. in 
the cave and it's like that's a very difficult thing to to kind of show in mm-hmm. you know vi- to show visually to map out where exactly we we are and in this case i thought the way that he kind of showed like okay what's going through the gamer turned racer's head or where are we in this race in this mm-hmm. you know in Le Mans, the the days long race like how many laps and so i thought that was um, not necessarily inventive, but very creative. Um, and that, that really helped just not only visually, but like getting into the action. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Top Gun Maverick thing where it's like they, the, it, tr- you, tr- they train the audience to understand kind of the stakes and where we are within, um, the context of the action set pieces. Yeah, and I think just kind of like I mean, this movie's nowhere near as good as the Top Gun sequel. No, I'm not saying yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. I just want to make that extra clear for our listeners. Um, but like I do think another comparison point is is they both, uh, capture a sort of tangibility that like in in the sense that like the Top Gun movie, like you feel like you are in those those fighter jets with Tom Cruise and the rest of that cast. I think you feel like you're in these these race cars that are, you know, going arguably just as fast around the racetrack. Um, and, thir- and thir- yeah. 13 lives. I'm sorry. 13 lives is the run. Okay, okay. 28 hours is Killian Murphy. Or is oh, that no, that's 28 days, 28 later. days later. I don't know. 28. I, I, as far as I know, what, 28- there, there's gotta be something that is like, or are you maybe conflating? What's the, is it 127 hours is the one where James there, Franco is like the guy yeah. stuck in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sorry. this, this, no, no, no. I, I was trying to figure out, I was like, there's some other movie that is something like a num, a number in something hours, hours. And I was right, trying to yeah. think of what it was. Um, it. yeah, but, uh, and, and I really like David Harbour in there. Uh, Orlando Bloom as the sort of like slick ad man guy I thought was way less effective. Um, we need a Nissan guy in there. We need a Nissan guy in there, you know? Yeah. Bloom is just not... He's not it's a very smart. odd role. Like, he's not smarmy enough. You need someone who's a little bit sort of sleazier. Um, I need Wolf of Wall like Street, could... Ma- Matthew McConaughey energy. Sure, yeah. Or even <laughs> I was think I was thinking of kind of like, oh gosh, who who would I put John like? Bernthal as Wayne Jenkins? I mean, John Bernthal kind of is that version of no. You know who it is? It's um. Lucas, uh, I'll cut this bit out because I can't remember his last name. But there is a character that is like that in Ford versus Ferrari. No, I was thinking of like you know a Jason Bateman would be like great for that. Of mm. kind of like you know could kind of be likable, but could kind of be a little bit like this guy's a little bit of a prick and is like does it kind of doesn't is a little bit phony. Um, yeah, I I I guess it's a mixed bag for me. Like I of the August movies we've been seeing, like this is the one I probably enjoyed the most if just because like the racing sequences are so electric. Um I just kind of found myself a bit bored whenever we were like not in the race car if that makes sense. It's also just it is a very interesting adaptation given that it's like part video game adaptation but part like true story yeah biopic and like racing like it just it it is it is very interesting and i i thought they did an adequate job or a competent job of weaving those pieces together and making it a kind of you know uh, a a fan like a, a very fan friendly movie like it's it's a perfectly solid, like, two-hour movie that, like I said, inoffensive and, like, well-made enough to the point of, I don't think this is going to do particularly well. Like, I don't know who, I don't know who is the audience for this. Like, is, is there enough of a, like, Gran Turismo fan base that is, like, yearning for this movie? Or is it going to be people who like racing? And yeah. are they going to care enough to go see this movie? Um, I one of my best friends is a big NASCAR fan, a big racing fan, and like he's very much looking forward to it. I don't think he has any attachment to Gran Turismo or the story that this is tied to. So I, I don't really know if there's going to be like enough people like him that is going to put this over 
I, that is going to make make this movie money. Well, uh, two other movies that like just came out this past weekend that I saw and you didn't. So I want to give you an opportunity to ask any potential questions you may have about them. Uh, Blue Beetle, which is the latest uh, DC superhero extravaganza, a character I was not familiar with at all. Um, sounds like, I mean, the movie was number one at the box office, but um, sounds like is a little bit underperforming. And then I saw strays which is the raunchy r-rated summer comedy a a thing i'm constantly asking for but is basically will ferrell and jamie fox playing very vulgar dogs who uh tried to enact revenge on uh the dog that will ferrell plays uh owner who's played by will forte um i would not say i enjoyed either one of these um blue beetle i was mainly just sort of kind of like i think i've hit superhero fatigue of like i'm done like i i i i you needed really be doing something out there like the spider-verse movie to catch my attention now um and strays i think just is it the worst movie I've seen in the last five years? Maybe, but I, I want to open the door for you now. Any potential questions? They could be big. They could be serious. They could be humorous. I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to answer them for my listeners. Well, I'll just say I had the opportunity to see both these movies. Strays. I know I, I, I kind of bailed on you last minute for, I'm just not, not feel just not you, being in the mood. You don't need to explain. No, yeah, <laughs> you, but you're the one blue, who dodged a bullet. <laughs> well, well, that was at least like uh, what I'm trying to say with that was I had I have an interest in that. I still have an interest in seeing that because it's talking dogs that curse and and do vulgar things. I I am in. You know, like I I still I still have a vested interest in the concept. Blue Beetle. That invite came down, and I was like, I, I just, I can't. I, I can't, mm-hmm. I won't. Um, and the reason for the Blue Beetle, not to knock it, because I haven't seen it, and maybe it's perfectly serviceable, um, kind of how you described it to me while we were talking about it before, was seemed like, you know, it's not the worst thing ever. It's just like, like you were saying just now, it's like you need to be doing something more. This is not 2015 anymore. It's now 2023. We've kind of seen this stuff for the last 13-ish, 15-ish years since Iron Man, maybe before yeah, that even with the Spider-Man movies. It's kind of a, a like okay watchable. I mean, I want to maybe take back well. It, it is like a competently made, kind of like down the middle superhero origin story movie. I just sort of felt like walking out as much as like, you know, there's a really fun family dynamic in this movie. This is, this is, I think just as much kind of like as much as it is sort of the dawn of a new superhero, we all have to be invested in or Warner brothers now wants us to be invested in. It is also kind of trying to be the story of this, this, this family around said superhero character and sort of the dynamic among that family, which is really fun. That uh, and but that just wasn't enough for me and to you know I think for a character I was not invested in going in I did not walk out feeling you know I felt more exhausted of like now I have to like averse myself in this mythology and it all kind of just feels tiring at a certain point because we've had like ten fifteen years of this stuff already. Well, I'll, I'll get to a question here. I guess like th- this, this also went into my thinking when it was even, even when this movie first kind of came on, onto my radar beginning of the year in the wake of the James Gunn takeover of DC, mm-hmm. I just kind of automatically lumped this in with like the flash Shazam and then blue beetle of like, why, like, why does this matter? And so I guess my question is, is there any indication or did you get any sense from the movie that this is going to be weaved into 
whatever comes next in the plans of the James Gunn DC universe? Um, no, but I don't necessarily think that's a problem. I, I, I think it's probably beneficial that this movie sort of keeps itself pretty self-contained. Um, I don't quite know the sort of development history of this, of like how much of this is like a James Gunn DC, you know, project versus like a carryover from the previous regime, like the flash was, um, but it's definitely not, it's not trying to aggressively kind of like connect itself or sort of set up this larger universe. I think to its credit, it is sort of, just trying to get you invested into this one character and this one character's mythology and sort of hoping that that'll be enough to where like if blue beetle appears in further movies you know that'll draw an audience and um i I don't know if that answers your question at all I, i mean i think that's both good and bad like good to obviously make a movie stand on its own um and develop a character just on its own without having without you having to care you only getting invested because of other characters that said because of this like post superhero stage we're in late capitalism whatever you want to call it like that's kind of the only thing that's like keeping me on the marvel train is like right it's become so much of a chore that it's like oh, well, if I want to know what's going to happen, like, if I want to know what's going on in, like, the, the the movies that really count, then I guess I gotta go see, like, Thor Love and Thunder. Like, yeah. or, like, maybe I should, or maybe it's best if I do that. Um, or, you know, gotta see Doctor Strange movies and, like, stick around for the the, the post-credits so I know what's... So, when, when it's, like, Blue Beetle or Shazam, it's like, okay, well, like, this may or may not be involved in later stuff, so, like, maybe I should see it, but, may- like, oh, okay, well, hmm, I don't know, The Flash is a holdover, and it's like, you know, they want it to, to hang around and still be part of the future, but it's not a James Gunn thing, so, like, do I, you know, do I go see it? Yeah. And this is fully, I'm pretty sure, not a James Gunn thing, Blue Beetle, so I, it was just like, no. Like I, it, it was just like a, a no for the, me. The real problem of the movie is I think this, you know, I'm, I will admit I'm not an expert of this character in the comics, but at least sort of the movie version that you are given, I think is, it is too close to sort of the strands of other things that you've sort of already seen, you know, there, you can see the strands of Batman. You could see a lot of Iron Man strands in there. Um, you know, there there just isn't, it kind of feels like the sort of third knockoff version of, you know, these other properties that we've gotten um, earlier in sort of the superhero age. And so it just, I think its biggest problem is it just sort of feels redundant of a lot of other stuff. Um, and And that sort of kept me from kind of wanting to invest further and just sort of like saw it as kind of this this you know chore chore we have to sort of charge through in order to sort of like put another character up on the board or a like we really need to sort of like th- dig deep in the toy chest to find something to play with at this moment and even if this just restart toys, it all yeah just just yeah. Re- just restart it all i like i yeah i i'm not i i I am not the kind of person that like does the kind of semi regular like Hollywood needs needs a checkup and like we need mm-hmm. to like ho- like what what's going on here like we need a welfare check on on Marvel or Hollywood but like I, I think where I hit it well like the Flash but then the Flash and then Haunted Mansion which was another like failed Disney movie from this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I've now, I think hit my limit of like, guys, what's going on? Like, are we okay? And then, then the strike is happening. And it's like, are we, are we going to be okay? But I do want to ask about strays. Yes. Um, is it, cause I think, I think one, one area I, I like no hard feelings more 
than than you did but i think the one the one area that we agreed on is like it's a it's advertising itself as a raunchy comedy that isn't nearly as raunchy as it thinks it is or as it wants you to believe it is um is Shrey's the same kind of thing where it's actually not that raunchy i would say it it lives up to its r rating but maybe the thing that is kind of getting in its way it is trying to i think be a parody of um you know those kind of like dogs purpose movies where it's like the dog narration and yeah. you know yeah it's it's trying to be a parody of that i think or like homeward bound or something like that um homeward bound big ups uh, I have very fond memories of watching Homeward Bound as a kid. Um, but I don't have fond, you know, I don't have fond memories. That that shit lives in my brain on a daily basis. <laughs> those aren't memories. Those are those are current happenings constantly. Anyway, <laughs> um, isn't one of the dogs voiced by Michael J. Fox in Homeward Bound? I don't know. I'm gonna look that up now, though. Beautiful movie. Okay. I mean, I've yes. seen, I've just I've seen it so many times that it just I, it's I've like seen etched it so many brain. times as a kid, and I feel like I remember one of the dogs is voiced by Michael J. Fox. But um, no, I mean the the biggest problem with Strays, I think, is you sort of want the movie to fully. The movie sort of needs to fully devolve into kind of like nonsensical craziness and it kind of doesn't it's sort of it's basically playing itself like a pretty straight version of like like imagine just homeward bound except like if all the dogs talked about like you know if they said like you know and then there was like a whole sequence where like they a bunch of dogs in a pound like all pooped together to the sound of uh fergie's london bridges like like that's kind of the humor of of the movie is it is it is it is living up to the r rating in the sense of like it is going for the content that you would that you know you would think would get you an r rating but i i i just kept the movie never gets sort of crazy enough for me um and it kind of just becomes this one joke movie of like oh haha that little like french pug is just sort of saying the f word over and over again um and like we'll hump a couch and be like yeah this couch is my little bitch um and stuff like that and like i don't know i it 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 felt like it felt like a 12 year old boys sort of kind of r-rated comedy of of sort of like this this isn't this there was one scene in the movie that made me and i can't even remember what it was but there is one bit in the movie where i did remember kind of cracking a smile um but otherwise i would even say like in my audience it was pretty much like crickets except for like one woman who found it like hysterically funny and was like laughing through the entire time but was like alone in her laughter and everyone else like there would be like a couple kind of like oh kind of soft chuckles (laughs) every now and then but for the most part it was like pretty dead silence of like was not working for anyone in the movie basically our our theater i would say Basically, our Renfield screening. Exactly. Yes, it was almost exactly like that. Like you, but it, you could really, really feel this movie trying to like milk that R rating, and it just like was not. People were just like not buying it. Will this movie have legs once it hits streaming? Because of who the voices are, because of the concepts, because it's dogs. People, people I'm love, pessimistic love enough dogs. to where, like, I'm sure if this thing like popped up on Netflix, it would be like the number one in a week because people would be like, oh, I don't know, it's uh, Jamie Foxx voices a dog. I'll watch that. I mean, think about how bad most of the like Netflix number one movies are. Th- think about how bad The Gray Man was. I mean, this is worse than that, but like, you know, we've 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 established that like people will watch just like utter crap and just have it on like as they're doing laundry on netflix and it'll become like the number one movie there that's why you'll never get me to say anything bad about that hour 20 minute texas chainsaw massacre netflix remake from oh gosh last year or i would rather watch that again than than to sit through strays again it it really is i i am like not kidding around when i say it is maybe the single worst movie i've seen in the last like five years 
that includes um, Amsterdam. Yeah, I mean, that movie at least, like, doesn't... Moonfall? That movie doesn't feel like it's insulting my intelligence, at least, as much as, like, I think that movie is sort of, like, pompous nonsense. Hmm. That, that's pretty bad. Uh, it's Moonfall? it's bad. Uh, you know, I uh, yeah, it's it's worse than Moonfall. This, this is a real. I was I like, was I was th- that um I was getting ready for you to like be like you know what I've zagged on Moonfall. I actually think it's pretty good. No, Moonfall is still pretty bad. This the Strays just has a level of kind of like contempt for the audience that I I almost think is like. I think Strays thinks the people that are going to see it are like total morons um and like have like the lowest standard of entertainment. Um and that's Which maybe may like the most insulting thing of them all. <laughs> stay tuned to next time when I when I get to be on this podcast and I'm like, you know what, Strays, that was right up my alley. Stay tuned for the end of the year episode when you're like Strays, my movies. number five movie of the year. Yeah. You know, I, I just to, to go back to the the way we started this conversation, um, I'm in the midst right now of watching a Denzel movie that I also have never seen. <gasps> Which one? Flight. Oh, I actually can't wait to talk about that next time you and I are hang out together, because I think that is like one of Denzel's best performances in a movie that is kind of bad. Or has, like, um, one amazing sequence in it, but then, like, becomes the kind of, like, bad addiction drama that you would expect to see on, like, you know, CBS on, like, a Sunday night or something like that. I was going to posit the question, and I have not finished it yet, but um, maybe you just answered it for me. Maybe it was before flight, but I was going to say, like, was this, it, or is this, like, Robert Zemeckis's, like, last good movie? Has it just been all hmm. duds since then? Dang, let me. That's something me, we could revisit me, another time. Let but. me crank up it. I mean, it he might did, be. He did, he did the it walk might be Robert, in twenty fifteen. That movie's bad. That movie's really that bad. Movie's bad. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. Okay. So let let's Pinocchio. Let's that wasn't uh, good. Pinocchio is is appalling. Welcome to Marwin. Um, Welcome to Marwin. Uh, Robert Zemeckis should do like mandatory. Everyone involved in that movie should do mandatory community service for that, for that awful movie. Um, I mean, what what's I'm 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 digging to Wikipedia to get because flight was 20, 2012. 2012. So twenty fifteen, we had the walk, which I I think is 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 pretty bad, especially since you can't see it in an IMAX now. It it sort of has the same problem as flight. Like, there's one amazing sequence in it that you kind of feel like is the reason he wanted to make the movie. And then the movie around it isn't that good. Then 2016 allied, which mm, that's the, uh, Brad Pitt, Marion Cotillard, Marion Cotillard. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sorry. That it's, was, I saw that. I remember seeing that with my mom and being, it being like perfectly. Okay. It's, it's, it's totally forgettable. It's, it's like on paper, a really great idea that, um, I, I think just everyone kind of seems a bit sleepy in it and like just the it's it's it looks like really fake from what I remember. Like it's a lot of people just standing in front of green screens and it's like this is a World War II spy movie like use some sets or something like that. Um, 2018 Welcome to Marwin. We talked about 2020 his adaptation of The Witches with Anne Hathaway. Bad. Oh, right. Um. Then 2022 Pinocchio. Yeah, bad. So I don't. I'm going to come out with an even hotter take. I think Castaway is the last good Robert Damn. Zemeckis movie. Brutal. Yeah. But uh, look, look to hearing more about your 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 flight. Have you at least gotten to the part where um, he plays uh, the red hot chili peppers like under the bridge, like as a woman is taking heroin? No, I, 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 I paused for a second and then realized like I would, I would know if I saw that. No, not yet. <laughs> I'm like half, I'm like halfway in through. that movie are, the movie, are, music no, drops are no one is extreme. worse at music drops than Robert Zemeckis. Um, but that's, yeah, that's they're pretty jarring podcast. Yeah. All right. I just, um, I, I texted, I, I texted a friend five minutes out of the gate 
you have Denzel doing blow and then getting like high off the oxygen mask in the plane while he's already drunk. And I'm like, five stars. He's so good in that movie. It's it's so it is such a like the perfect encapsulation of like a three star movie of like a a pretty bad movie that is like elevated to just watchable status because like the central performance in it is so insanely good that like it just kind of carries you through the whole thing. Um, the power of Denzel. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about Denzel because we got another Equalizer movie coming out soon. Okay, so uh, I figured the first thing uh, to ask you guys was just kind of like how you got, let's let's get the origin story, how you guys got your start sort of making films and kind of like how you met each other, just sort of that in the door uh, answer, I guess. Yeah, well, we met on the set of Community, uh, strangely enough, because Ari was working for the Russo brothers and I was working for Joel McHale, the actor at the time. And we'd both been doing our own thing for a while, writing and directing. Um, and we just started sharing shorts and uh, scripts and, you know, kind of back and forth and helping each other. We were just fans of each other's work. And finally I said to Ari, I'm like, we should, let's try to write something together. And we wrote a pilot. Actually, he was doing, I think, Infinity War down in Atlanta. And we, we wrote it on, on Skype. You know, now it would be Zoom. But, uh, and it took us a couple of weeks to write it. And it was so much fun. And we got meetings right away. Uh, and then we... We literally then decided to write a feature and the feature got Gail Garcia Bernal attached for a minute, uh, which was really, really cool. And when we kind of went down to see him, we were just writers. We'd spent sort of five years becoming writers and he spent, he sat with us in Mexico City for three hours and went through the script and it was, was really gracious and wonderful. And, and uh, at the end he said, well, who's going to direct? And we of course were like, well, obviously us, we're, we're going to direct. And he said, well, have you ever directed together? And we said, not not yet. And he said, well, I think you should. I think you must. Uh, and that was really kind of the kick in the pants for us to spend the next five years making shorts together, which were The Internet Kills and The Bride. And that really, The Bride, you know, kind of came to the Russo Brothers' attention, um, you know, thanks to Ari. And, and that sort of, you know, took us into sort of, that's really how we became filmmakers, as a team rather, right? Yes. So what what was sort of that jump like from shorts into doing a feature I, I imagine you know there's there's things that come up um doing something that's a little bit longer that you know you're not quite expecting were there any kind of like learning curve moments or something where you thought okay I've I've got this down or I know how to do this kind of sequence or you know work with an actor in this kind of scene but then you get to uh, a feature and it's maybe like a little bit harder or the time's maybe a little bit more compressed or something like that yeah I mean I had had experience um, producing features for a while. You know, I, I started working with the Russos along, you know, way back, and then I started producing with them on on the Marvel films. Um, with starting with Captain America: Civil War, and obviously those things are huge machines. Uh, working in the Marvel world, um, and it's a, a true collaboration. And then Aaron and I, from our shorts, it's like you know, you're in a bit of a microcosm, you know, and and with short films, it's like nobody cares as much about your short film as you do. So you inevitably end up producing it, if you know, directing it, writing it, you do every single job. And mm. then when we ended up doing our, our first feature, it was okay, you know, it was about like, releasing some of that control that you're used to. And again, it was like putting us back in this in this seat of collaboration, which we truly love, you know, it, it, that is the art of filmmaking. But I think the, the hardest thing about the movie was, um, the budget, you know, it's like we were we were a smaller budget film and we only had 20 days to shoot the movie. So ultimately, um, the pace we were moving at was a lot faster than we'd moved on, on our short films because we set the pace on our short films like we choose as many days as we want. You know, it's we, we you know, it's our money that we're spending with this. It was somebody else's money. Uh, the pace was was really, really fast. And I, I think it was just about um, a lot of compromises, you know, um, you know, for, for me, at least it was, um, yeah, I think it was just like what you were a actually able to achieve uh, in 20 days was was the real surprise. Um, Aaron, I don't know what you thought about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I think all that all, all that holds true for me as well. I think it was also gauging, you know, a short film, right? You, you can you can gauge sort of the, the rhythm of the piece in a much shorter time because it's just shorter and really trying to almost like actors say they have to always remember where they are you know when you're shooting out of order 
it was a little, I think that was a huge learning curve is trying to keep the whole movie in your head in continuity, um, which you just, you know, which that was, I think, one of the biggest learning curves where you just, when it's like you do it on a short film, all these things you're doing and you do it on a feature, it's like all those things you learned of the, the 10, 15 years you're making short films kind of come into sharp relief, you know, and it's, you learn, it's everything sort of crystallizes. They may have been bopping around in your head, but everything really crystallizes. So it's like, I just think it's that first experience that you can't ever have again. And that you ultimately, when you finish it, you go, okay, I can't wait to do it again because of, you know, really the amount of learning that you did in the process, you know, because you just can't compare it to anything else. Right. It just, it was its own beast. I mean, I think that that was one of the the biggest leaps and also, you know, figuring out what, you know, like I was saying, you're collaborating and it's wonderful, but then also realizing some of that control in your shorts, you do want to try to get on the second <laughs> feature. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, maybe that was good. That, <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, it's to balance. It's, it's very much a balance, you know? Are, are there any, you know, you mentioned these, these compromises you have to make, are there any that, um, you know, you think helped make the film better in some ways or sort of changed it in any way from kind of like original conception and, you know, you had a sequence mapped out one way sort of going into it and then maybe sort of time or budget sort of made it change into something else, but you think that thing kind of wound up better than your original idea? I mean, there's one scene specifically I can think of, and it's a, a scene um, at the bonfire at the party um, where we had half a night to shoot a scene where um, Marcus shows up at the party, um, Asa Butterfield, and he's he's got the uh, the knife. Um, and it's like a very tense scene where he starts stabbing people because um, he's you know, he's trying to get them to to play to, you know, what they 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 said they would play and they wouldn't quit. Um, and like I said, we had half a night to shoot that, but I think just the pace we had to move and, you know, how we had to really kind of like just go with our instincts um, by shooting that scenes, it added to the tension and the chaos that you feel during that scene in the actual movie. So I think the pace we had to set for ourselves ultimately helped the tension of the scene uh, for that scene. And, and not to sort of like, because that's 100% that's true, but I think then it, when I was talking about compromises, we we sort of horse traded and bargained for other scenes for instance like the 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 sequence in the in the barn on the second floor that we're really proud of that's kind of like our De Palma Tarantino homage that we we said okay guys we need time for this we just it's designed it's got a field design and so then that was making sacrifices with our ad and our dp and producers and we got that that's all was almost a whole night of shooting and for us we were like okay great this is this feels like we can really do our thing you always run out of time it's never enough but that's an example of where other compromises allowed us to do something that was really in line with our vision so that was that was you know it's it's constant <laughs> constant battle uh, you mentioned De Palma with that one scene. I'm I'm curious, kind of how the the idea of this formed between um, the two of you, and and also kind of getting into a little bit of the dynamic of how you guys work. I'm always so fascinated by you know directing partnerships, and there's this you know story about the Cone Brothers. I always remember where they like take turns writing a script and try and write each other in the corners, so that then the other one has to figure out how to yeah. you know make it make it better. Um, how does that dynamic you know work with you guys? I, mean, I don't know if you want to uh, uh, you want to take that to start or yeah sure I mean I think it's interesting because um, Aaron and I when we started discussing our partnership early on there was no idea of a division of labor it's like there was no I'm going to talk to the actors and you're going to work with camera it was like we both got in directing because we love every element of it so there was never a discussion about division of labor. Um, we're just like, okay, whoever whoever's got the idea at the moment can get up and talk to the actors, um, you know. And we we trade on and off for the, with that. Um, we're both going over there designing the shots. Um, we both like to work with all the HODs. Um, you know, I think Aaron can can maybe uh, be a little more um, verbal on set, and you know that's fine. That's fine with me. Uh, you know, I'll sort of sit back and make adjustments. At, you know, he's he just has like a little bit more of a personality and a character as someone who doesn't mind being in front of the camera as well. Aaron Aaron will sometimes act where I'm like, I'm gonna sit back, you know, and I'm gonna observe things a, a little bit more. But like, no, there is there is no real division of labor, and I think with the 
the scene um, up top in the in the cabin, you know, I think because of because of the sheer pace we had to move at, that is one of the more designed scenes in the movie. Um, you know, intentionally, we really we really fought for that. Um, whereas some of the other scenes, it was like, you know, even if we storyboarded it, we're going to be killing a lot of shots on the day. But that one was very much like, okay, how do we build? Um, you know, it is it is hide and seek. We've seen hide and seek um, portrayed in a lot of different films before. How do we do our own unique version of it? And um, you know, we wanted to we wanted to do it basically from the point of view of the characters that were hiding. But then we also wanted to do a handoff to the hunter. So that was like this this dance that we were talking about and discussing early on. And we knew um, we wanted to do this shot where the camera zoomed in into the hay and found the girl hiding in the hay. And so, you know, on the day where actually our DP was like, we don't have time, we can't do it, we can't do it. And we're like, we have to do this. This is the point of the whole scene. So we really fought very hard for that specific um, shot and the lens. Uh, Aaron, I don't know if you want to talk more. Well, no, I mean, and also to to back up, you know, with our partnership, the, the, I think the one thing about teams that's always important is that I think they usually work when it's two very different people. You know, it's not just the same people, but it's two different people who make one person, you know, I mean, like, we love people like the archers and the Coens because it's like they kind of vanish into one thing when they're when they're doing their 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 craft and i think you know it's like i'm definitely probably more uh uh over the top and stylized and you know and not that ari doesn't appreciate that stuff but i think a lot of times it's it's maybe my sort of too much ideas and then ari's grounded kind of balance that that is a that's a nice tension you know between the both both of us it's like i sort of have too many ideas and ari's very good at sort of not responding i'm like oh i guess he didn't like that uh, i'll just Try another one, uh, but that's that's totally fine. And then you know we we work that way as well with writing. You know, with with I think when you were asking how the idea came about, did you mean all fun and games? So basically, like that, you know, script came to Agbo as a spec, and it was a great spec. And you know, the Russos had always been very supportive of us as directors and identifying projects and stuff, but. I think we took the opportunity to go, okay, as writer directors, we want to do our pass on it, you know, and kind of one of Joe's early notes was, you know, I would like this to have a little more, you know, for lack of a better word, edginess or naturalism. And so we really were like, okay, let's try and do a coming of age drama, you know, something that's like Lady Bird, mid nineties, eighth grade, you know, that was where we came at it from. So I think it was more, the idea sort of existed and then it was how do we personalize it, right? And then also, do what we really want to do, which is marry genre, right? Which is coming of age with a sort of a throwback horror movie. You know, that that was, and then the minute, the minute that happens, it's like where we get so excited, you know, to sort of personalize it both for us and also cinematically. Mm-hmm. How does How does that sort of, you know, you're talking about all these different references and things you wanted to sort of like bring into the film and make it your own. How do you sort of communicate that really effectively when it's in sort of like the the, the pitch stage as well as sort of when you're talking with the actors or your cinematographer and sort of like, I want the camera to do this and I want it to have this feel or, you know, to really sort of get everyone on the same page as to uh, your your vision and kind of like buy into it and see the movie as you do. I mean, I think it's a lot in prep. Right. Or, you know, it's like it's a Latin prep. It's also I think what we've learned is you start with references. Right. And then they fall away. You know, they fall away because the movie tells you what it is. And then you're 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 delicately putting in like, for instance, one of my favorite little homages that started out as something bigger is Natalia when she sees um, Pete doing what he's doing, what he sort of shouldn't be doing in in the barn scene, not to spoil it. You know, that's a reference to Raging Bull where she's in real time and then her gaze is slow-mo, right? But that no one's ever, you know, it, so all the stuff that we are talking to our cameraman about and the production designers about, it's like it, it gets their wheels turning and then we hope they take it and do what they do. And I think we're very specific with, you know, it's a lot in prep. And then I think when it comes to actors, you know, we speak to them, we show them movies early on, but then once we're doing it, it's really following their instincts and and their talent, you know, like people like Asa and Natalia and... Like, I mean, one of the things we really like to do is for each each actor we're working with, we'll we'll create character bios and, you know, we'll send them. This is the kind of music we think your character might listen to. This is the kind of movie they might like. This is their history. This is their relationship with their dad and mom. These are their likes and dislikes. And then we say to the actor, um, let us know what you think about this. Add things, take away things, help us, re- help us like refine this character and find this character. 
Um, so we like to get them as involved as possible, as early as possible, um, mm -hmm. to really help us help us find the character. Um, and I think also like we did. I mean, there, we would have done a screening every week if we could have with the actors, but like because of how short the film was and how how fast we we're moving, we did one screening early on, which was just to sit down with the with the actors and watch Donnie Darko, which is to say yeah. like. We think this is a family that you you know that that maybe has a similar kind of vibe as as the family that our film has you know this is brother sister brother and sister relationship that we that we like use as well and we think there's like a, a common tonality that you might find in this movie that we would be searching for in our movie so that was one of our our touch points for the actors but then when it came to our our dp rick rick diaz um you know we we talked about things like et and then we talked about the movie us and then we talked about the production design from prisoners so we did we definitely had the um cinematic touch points um that we used but yeah so, uh oh go ahead no 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 go go Pete, you please oh uh so i i guess just uh my final question I wanted to throw out kind of an, an extra fun one that i always like to ask filmmakers which if, is if you had to program a sort of a double feature with this uh your sort of your favorite movie theater sort of hands you over the the keys to the night it's like you can show yours and then like something else what would your double feature choice be with your film oh man <laughs> that's a good one that is a good one like you know you gotta be no, careful no pressure you gotta be careful because if we said the exorcist then it's like well, we definitely want to show our film before The Exorcist, not after. <laughs> <laughs> and and you can you can you can plan the order you want, just something to uh to pair with it. So if you if you want to do yours as like an amouge bouche to The Exorcist, you know that's mm -hmm. all by all means. I would I would actually pair it with E. T. Not to not to yeah. not, not to um you know if Mr. Spielberg would be so gracious, we would that would be that would be really cool. I think just in terms of like the you know as much as we love movies like. Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Evil Dead, you know, Hereditary, all those films. I think the thing that Ari and I found that we were most attracted to about this project was the family and the heart, you know, and and, and that and, and really dealing with how E.T. really is a movie about divorce, like in a serious way, right? So anyway, that I think for me, that would be a maybe a cool idea. Yeah, I think so. And like th thematically, um, the family's journey and also their dynamic, we looked a lot at the um, the scene in E.T. where, where they're having you know, pizza and all the, the friends are over and the family's like sort of quarreling. Um, we looked at that for our kitchen scene with our family. Um, and, you know, thematically, uh, the film is about a family that's that's trying to move through trauma, the trauma of their father, abusive father leaving. And that's sort of more prevalent in the longer cuts of the movies. It, it kind of has been pushed to the side in the shorter cut of, of the film. But like that was definitely our North Star. Well, uh, thank you guys uh, again for for chatting and uh, congratulations on the the film itself. I know that it is it is a miracle anything gets made and that it is it is just sort of like so many moving parts and stuff. So just uh, congratulations again. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, really appreciate it.